The Body Love Binge is the podcast for you if you're so done with living in the hellhole of an eating disorder, hating your body and constantly wishing you were thinner. If you're truly ready to heal from anorexia, bulimia or binge eating disorder and genuinely make friends with your body, then you're in the right place. I'm your host, Victoria Kleinsman, a food freedom and body love coach, eating disorder and abuse survivor who's on an absolute mission to love and support millions of women to come back home to self-love and intuition eating. If it's possible for me, I know it's possible for you as well. Thank you so much for being here. I'll see you in the episode. Well, Queens, I have Gillian Murphy back with me today, and you may already know her because I recommend her all the time. But those of you that don't, I'm just going to read her short bio out to you now and then introduce her again. So Dr. Gillian Murphy is a naturopathic doctor who focuses on helping women ditch diverse as fuck, all or nothing approaches to health so that they can find their vibrant, feel good lifestyle and body. So Gillian, thanks for coming back on today. I'm pretty thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course. So I wanted you to, okay, let me rephrase that. I invited you to be here because of an episode I listened to you, to yours on your podcast, talking about beauty, body neutrality versus beauty culture and all of that. So I would like to dive into that in a short while, but first of all, can you share what how has your business evolved since we last spoke with what you help women with? And then we'll naturally just have that flowy conversation, I'm sure, from there. Yeah, I'd love to talk about this. So over the past, it was interesting, before we hit record on this episode, Victoria was asking me um, how Europe was. We took two months off last year, or last year, sorry, and we went, we took our kids, we went to Europe. And um, I don't know about you, but anytime I get that kind of time away from the busyness of life, and this was like really particularly special, something about the time difference. And, and we have girls that were preteens at the time, teens now stripping away all the extracurricular activities, all of the social responsibilities, all of the play dates, all of the texts and phone calls. Like there was just this quiet and this clarity amidst a very busy active trip that that just offered me um, time to think about what I was doing in my work. And I just, I had been slowly kind of baby stepping my way into evolving my work. And over the course of that two months, I realized like, I'm really ready for the next evolution of this work. Um, But it was scary. And I'll explain why. So when I was here last, so I'm a naturopathic doctor, I've been a naturopath for over 16 years. Um, I do eating disorder work. So I work like in the really heavy end of the spectrum. I also work um, all across the spectrum, you know, with people who are just in disordered eating or in really light problematic eating patterns. And so about, well, gosh, over 10 years ago now, I found intuitive eating and the health at every size movement. And it really changed my approach to the work that I do and, and, changed the trajectory of my life and my career and opened up all of these beautiful doors. And the thing that's really interesting is at that time, when I started talking about these things in newsletters, on podcasts, um, uh, on Instagram, it was a very, very new idea. It wasn't long ago, right? 2013, 2012, 
that was a wild idea. This idea of maybe working with our bodies and accepting our bodies and eating in an intuitive way. There was, there was, you know, handfuls of people talking about it. I'm not, you know, trying to say that I started the movement. It was definitely started for ages with many women before me, but just, it wasn't part of the zeitgeist at all. Like it wasn't part of, we weren't seeing so many different sizes in, in modeling campaigns that it just, that wasn't a thing still. It wasn't that long ago. Right. So that was the work that I felt deeply dedicated to for, for almost 10 years was, was bringing that to people, bringing that to naturopathic medicine, bringing that to eating disorder recovery work. And then what I realized over the past, probably two or three years was that the women that I work with, were really grasping that concept. So they were doing really well with this idea of like intuitive eating. They were excited about it. Body acceptance is still a difficult thing, but they were there for it. It was a more well understood thing. There was also, you know, hundreds of voices talking about it on podcasts and on social media. And, and I just realized that I was in this new era of wanting to circle back or like come full circle, I think. And like, really reintegrate these lessons so that we could re-explore what it means to feel good in our bodies again. Mm. Because what I was finding is that many women were in the intuitive eating had opened the door to permission for them for the first time in forever or for the first time in decades. Right. So they were in a lot of no's. They were in a lot of discipline, a lot of restriction, a lot of really all for the reason of controlling their bodies. Sometimes it was about health, but mostly it was about controlling their body. Intuitive eating opened the door to permission and yeses again, being allowed to eat the things that you want to eat, figuring out what your body wants, allowing yourself to be full, allowing yourself to be satiated. Like that was really beautiful. But then what I was seeing is that women in my practice anyway, and it could be because I'm a naturopath and I attract a certain kind of client or patient but they were getting stuck where they were still like a little bit stuck in the yeses. So they had gotten off the really big roller coaster of binge eating and restriction, but they were on this, like, I call it like a mini kid roller coaster where it still felt like they just still didn't really feel in control of themselves, like in full agency. Mm. And because of their past with dieting, there was almost like a rebelliousness or a reactivity anytime they tried to think about doing something genuinely for their health. Like they had worked through a lot of the, the you know, not perfectly, of course, we're humans and we live in a thin as best world still, but like they had worked through a lot of that old diet stuff and they were like, no, I just want to feel good though. And, um, so I started doing that work one-on-one with people and in small groups, it felt hard to talk about it on social media because it felt like it would be deeply misunderstood. Mm -hmm. It felt like you had to pick a camp and, and I get that. And I get that, you know, I get that like a lot of the health and wellness world has like co-opted anti-diet language and misrepresented Mm -hmm. it. I totally understand that, but I just felt like there's more nuance here and we need to be able to talk about it, but it took me a while. It was a couple of years of working on this. And then that trip happened. And I thought, I just need to start. People are ready for this. Like we are ready to have a nuanced conversation about this, that we can invite 
more critical, intentional thinking back into the way that we feed ourselves and move. Mm. We have the capacity to do that and, and to not abandon our body or, or harm ourselves mentally and emotionally in order to do that. Like we can do this. So I came back and like spent basically a year kind of slowly evolving my brand. I just, I was moving very slowly and just starting to talk about this. And it, it, um, it resonates, I think, for a lot of people and it won't be right for everyone. And I get that there's going to be people who a aren't really interested in, in pursuing their health, who aren't really able to maybe if they've been harmed in such a way by like wellness culture or diet culture, this will never be right for them. That's totally okay. And I think it's still okay to serve a certain part of the population that's really interested in this. Yeah. Wow. And I'm so glad that you transitioned into this. And I love your name of your podcast, by the way, 100% Healthy-ish. Yes. Because (laughs) I remember when I started to crave like protein shakes and vegetables and I I would be like, oh my God, wait, does this mean I'm going back into restriction? I'd like overthink the food freedom guidelines in a way, because it was almost like, well, I can't have a salad or an apple because then I'm in diet culture, but that's not true. No, absolutely not. Like, and, and I have had people say, you know, not much, actually, most people, I, I thought people would be much more critical and maybe it will come. I'm not sure. Um, but I've had people say, oh, this sounds diety. And I'm like, well, here's the thing. The definition of dieting within my work is that the ultimate metric of success in whatever you're trying to do is weight loss. So that's yeah. like not part of what I'm doing here. Yeah. Yeah. This is genuinely about um, the fact that many women get to a certain point with intuitive eating. And again, they are still ever so slightly stuck in yeses mm-hmm. and they have low mood and low energy and yeah. they don't, and they're bloated and they don't feel good. And that is not a way to go through. That's not the goal with intuitive eating, you know? And I will say like, this is part of intuitive eating. You know, if our bo- if we don't feel good, that is our body talking to us. I think that the only thing that I've noticed is while it's in the intuitive eating book, and again, I understand you have to be so careful that people are ready for this information when you bring yeah. it to them. Yeah. So it's it's quite light in the book. And so this is the thing that I found is I'm just trying to to fill this hole of people need more guidance. They need more tangible um strategies and frameworks for re-engaging with being able to say no to things that aren't good for them or they know don't feel good to them Mm. without falling back into that rebelliousness reactivity or fear that they're dieting right they just need more support there Um, and I think if this makes sense like one of the ways that I talk about this work is you know, early on in the intuitive eating process, we have to really turn the volume down on our brains, right? Like our brains are basically running the show and our brains have all kinds of ideas about what's right for us. You know, you and I were talking again before we hit record about like the right amount of chocolate to eat or the right amount of sugar to eat or, and it's all coming from this very restrictive body management place, all those rules. So yeah. early on in the process, and it disconnects us from our body because our body's screaming at us for things and we're ignoring it because it's like, no, brain says no. So yeah. early on in the process, we really turn the volume down on our brain and connect with our bodies, right? In order to try to figure out what's the right amount of food for us, the right amount of chocolate, the right amount of, you know, X, Y, Z, whatever. 
But then at some point we, you know, ultimate healing in my mind is being able to bring our brains back in. And this is really key um, for people who struggle to connect with our body. There's always going to be people who really struggle to hear what their body's saying. I think it's also important to note that there are many things that interfere with the information our body's trying to give us, the stress of day-to-day life, being busy, being overworked. Like I'm now 44 and we're in that sandwich generation of having teens that need a lot of support and help, but also having parents that need a lot of help and support. Mm -hmm. Like our lives are freaking chaos some days. And some days I have to use my brain. Like my body would be great to eat baked goods all day. And I could do that. I'm in full permission to do that. But I also know that if I want to be fully present for the one-on-ones from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. or 5 p.m. that I have booked, I can't eat that way. Yes. So I could if I wanted to, but my brain, I'm also an adult and I'm able to be like, no, that's not good for me though. I want to be alert. I want to be energetic. I want to be focused. So I'm going to eat like this this morning, you know, and that's like bringing my brain back in, right? I think the key there, what you're saying and what you're sharing is, and in, in order for people to be ready to do this work, is I see it as when someone has detached their worthiness to what they eat or don't eat or their body size, it then creates a space to choose nourishment and pleasure with eating like you've just shared. Would you agree? That's exactly it. That is that's exactly it. Like it's not a, if if I ate the muffin because I was really stressed out and I didn't have time or whatever, it's not a moral failing and I'm not feeling bad about it. And it's not going to spiral into this big drama. Yeah. Um. So I, and that was always the goal with intuitive eating. Again, I want to be clear. I'm not pretending like that's not, you know, that's always the goal with intuitive eating to be able to make choices. Like I said, I think it's just really tricky. Like I was on another podcast and I brought back in this idea of, you know, I have talked for years about restriction being bad, 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 bad. And I'm like, but again, at 44, after turning 40, my body has changed and I need to care for it differently. And there are some things that I flexibly limit that you could say I restrict, but I don't think, I don't think of it in a bad way. I just flexibly limit in order to have the energy to get through my day to manage my thyroid, to manage like, and, and, and this is also something that I bring in because, you know, as a naturopath, I also work with people who are coming to me with like diabetes or high cholesterol or, you know, gastritis or, you know, different health issues where we do have to sometimes intentionally, thoughtfully flexibly limit or restrict certain foods in order to create the freedom to live their lives. Right. And, and I'll talk about it. Like, you know, sometimes I need to limit how much TV I'm watching. Sometimes I have to limit how much alcohol I'm drinking or coffee. Sometimes I have to limit in order to like open something bigger up in my life that I need, you know? And again, when you detach from the morality and the value and the worth associated with like eating a certain way, you open up to being able to consider that for yourself again. Yes. I see it also as taking loving, gentle, non-judgment ownership of your choices. For example, the TV. Okay. If I wake up tomorrow and I'm tired because I've chosen to continue watching the next series and the next series and the next series, And I wake up the next day and I'm like, 
oh, I'm tired. I shouldn't have done this. And it's my fault. That's like actually not taking ownership of your choices at that time. And then you feel bad and you go into a spiral. Same with food. Sometimes someone might experience this with food. Whereas if you wake up and say, you know what, I'm tired because I chose to enjoy those extra episodes of whatever it was last night. I'm taking full ownership of that without judgment. So how can I best take care of myself today? Perhaps we'll have an early night tonight without making it that you're bad or wrong. And I'm going to offer us both a quote that you know has come from Isabel Fox and Duke, who is no longer in the food freedom space, which is very sad. Yeah. And she says, dieting is not an action, it's a state of mind, meaning you can choose to perhaps, I'm not going to use the word limit, but perhaps to say no to the cake this afternoon because you've got back-to-back client calls this afternoon. And that might look like a diet behavior, but if you're not restricting up here mentally and emotionally, it's not restriction, therefore it's not dieting. That's exactly it. Like cake is a part of my, like you know, ice cream makes me feel terrible. I love it. I eat it. I just don't eat it all the time because yeah. it makes me actually feel terrible. You know, like movie theater popcorn is part of my life. It'll always be part of my life. I don't feel great after I eat it, but I love eating it. And as an adult, there are moments when I'm just willing to accept the consequences and mm-hmm. I'm in full enjoyment of it, you know? And again, that was always the goal. And even Isabel would talk about that. You know, she would talk about the fact that, I mean, I think she's celiac. Like she'd just be like, I, I don't eat gluten, but like I occasionally, if a croissant looks really good, I just eat it. And then, you know, I suffer the consequences and it's worth it. Um, I have just found that many women need a lot more guidance when it comes to like figuring out how to use their no thoughtfully. Um, Flexibility is the big thing. So being able to move back and forth, like being able to say no to the cake without it triggering some kind of weird spiral or being able to say yes to the cake. Like there's this flexibility that I think requires some practice because like I said, many are still on the little kid roller coaster where they're like a little bit in restriction or a little bit in, in like binge isn't the right word, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's all good. I don't care. Like there's almost an unconsciousness and you know, I've talked about it in the past. I think sometimes the unconscious phase is really important. Like if there's been so much drama and focus around food and health and like anxiety, and sometimes we just need a phase where we're just like, oh, whatever. Yeah. You know? I'm going to have it just because I can, but you're right. There does come a point where I'm thinking of one client in particular, and I'm going to send her this direct episode. So you know who you are, my love. I'm going to ask a question for her to you so you so I can see how you answer and perhaps support her so said client is in food freedom I do know there's still some a little bit of emotional judgment when she's eating like processed foods a lot so there is still some immense mental restriction there but she's eating the foods just because she can why not it's there because of all the restriction in the past, but she feels awful in her body. She feels bloated. She feels like, ugh, she's got no energy, all of that. So how would you support her going from that place of where I've just shared that she is to using her mind without obviously going back into diet culture and restriction? Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I think is important here is that it will be really hard for most people to fully get rid of that moralizing of certain foods. I think just being aware of it, naming it for what it is, and just not letting it really run the show is key. 
I think also this is going to be, this is the lame part of the answer, but it's so dependent on the individual I'm working with. And there is, it's one of the reasons I've gone back to um, some one-on-one work. Like I was doing a lot of group work and I was trying to bring this in. I ran a program last year and it was great, but it is highly nuanced work and, and it's not an exact science. There's a bit of a vibe, right? There's an art to knowing when someone, um, is ready to move into this. And it's always a little bit of an experiment. And I'm like, you know what, if it's not right, we'll know really quickly because it will start to trigger things that don't feel good to you. Like, like a little bit more of that binge eating that might've been happening in the past. Right. But what I would do is just ask her what flexible parameters might look like. So, you know, fried processed foods genuinely are not really necessarily supposed to be part of an everyday day-to-day diet. Like again, if you're normalizing your relationship with these foods, that's part of the process. That's the exercise. But like, I would ask her, like, what would, if she's eating it six or seven days a week, what would it look like to only have it five days a week? What would it look like to only have it four days a week? And just really baby step your way through it. And, you know, what I'm really hoping is that the differences in how she feels in her body will fuel very slow forward momentum. But it's not the kind of thing where we can typically go from eating it maybe every day to just, we'll have it just once a week. Like that doesn't tend to work. We have to really baby step our way there and make lots of space so that there's still safety in the body still feels like I can have what I want if I really, really want it. You know, we, I would, I would just go really slowly, but start by asking her, even asking that question can bring up a lot of interesting information. Cause if they're like, I would never eat it. Okay. Maybe you're not quite ready (laughs) for this work, you know, or if they're like, I would only eat it once a month. It's like, well, is that really realistic? Is that really who you genuinely are? Like that's a, that's an interesting piece of this work, right? Like helping people, like part of the work is I talk about this like spectrum from kind of like dieting to full blown you know, I don't know what the word is, like hedonism or all in permission, you know yeah, what I mean? Just, like, just because I can, kind yeah, of. Yeah, just because like, I can. Like, you know, the reality is all of us kind of naturally, normally sit at different places and feel good in different places. And so yeah. there are some people who can really genuinely not eat fried processed foods except once a month because they naturally sit over here. The problem is everybody thinks they should be able to sit over there. And that's not really true, right? Mm -hmm. Like there are certain people that I've worked with where I've just had to get, we've done a lot of work to be like, here's the sitch. You freaking love going through a drive-thru and getting a burger and fries once or twice a week. That is who you are. And if we try to push you too far away from that, it, it, it just, it, there's consequences and we just, you know, there's like this bounce back where you end up eating triple that much. Yes. We have to allow this much. Like, so you're trying to sort of like play with people to find the spot where they can sit. And that can evolve a little bit for sure as people heal, but where's the place where they can sit, where they're affecting their physical body the least without triggering mental, emotional reaction. Yeah. So it's more like it's a process. It's a process. And I would say, you don't have to have willpower you just have to make a conscious choice in response to how you want to feel in your body so 
it's not willpower, is it? It's, it's, there's no forcing, there's no restriction, there's no willpowering your way to say, only have the burger twice a week. It's a conscious like, okay, actually, you know, Gillian suggested this. I'm going to see how it feels to just have it maybe once a week and see how that feels. If it fits, so talking back to said client, if she was to feel panicky or, right. you know, anxious about the fact that we're suggesting perhaps see how it feels five times a week, not seven times a week, then that for me, and I don't know what you feel about this, just shows that there's more work to do around feeling safety, yes. eating just because you can until you can then make a choice without being triggered back into. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's exactly it. And um, yeah, I work with this like hierarchy of food needs and um It'd be good if I could send it to you. It's too bad because we can't see a visual here, but it sort of parallels Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which yes. he stole from the Blackfoot people. So it wasn't originally his, but but essentially his hierarchy of needs is, you know, we have to meet fundamental needs like safety and shelter before we can spiral up into things like relationships and community building and self-actualization, you know, like that's at the peak, right? And so um, when it comes to food, I work with that pyramid and it's like, using food functionally to affect how we feel physically is at the very top of that pyramid at the peak. Mm. But underneath of that are these layers of like making sure you get enough food first and foremost. Second, that you're eating food that's really yummy to you. Like it satiates you. It feels Mm. deeply satiating. Then variety, you know, then we get up and, and then we get up into like functional food. But the thing is, is that just like with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you don't have to push or force yourself to the top of the pyramid. If you are genuinely needing these layers below, you naturally spiral up. Yes, yes, and yes. Not everyone spirals up to the same place. Like, you know, again, with this, it's like it's like a different way of talking about that spectrum. Like, not everyone, even if they're really well fed and eating food that's delicious and getting lots of variety, is going to ever care about, you know, and the amount of thing. sugar they're eating or the gluten in their diet or, and that's fine. That's like, okay. You know, like that's part of this process. Like I said, is figuring out where each individual, like how much time and energy and effort do you actually care about putting into this? Yeah. What feels good to you? Where are your values around food? What, you know, like, Yeah. yeah. I love how you said naturally, because I'm at the stage, I'm at the top of the pyramid now, and I do a lot of weight training. And so to support that, I make sure I don't count it or anything, but I make sure, okay, at every meal and snack, am I eating protein? So for example, if I want some chocolate, I'll add in a protein shake, not to balance yeah. blood sugar, actually, because my body's fine with d- dealing with that itself. But just to make sure I personally am getting enough protein in to support my muscle mass and my training. And but I couldn't have done that when I first started intuitive eating because it would have been too diety and I would have been like, fuck the protein, fuck the vegetables. And now just binge. That's it. That's exactly it. And so, yeah. yeah, we're talking about a very specific place in this work. Um yeah. And yeah, like I said, because it is a specific place and because it is not for everyone, I thought that I couldn't do the work, but it's for some people. And it's like, you know, it, there is this, I'm in the same place where I make really conscious choices every day. Um, I allow myself all the foods. There's nothing that's not allowed. Yes. That is is all the things. Yeah. Yeah. And I still make conscious choices every day. Um, just because I wasn't feeling good in my body. My digestion didn't feel good. My energy didn't feel good. My Mm -hmm. focus didn't feel good. And I, 
I just got to the point where I was just ready. I was like ready to do the work. And like you said, it doesn't feel like willpower. I do make choices sometimes. Sometimes I'll have like an urge to eat something in the day and I'll say no. Um, but I don't feel like I'm willpowering my way through it. I just feel like I'm making a choice just the same way I might have the urge to sit down and watch the Real Housewives mm-hmm. of Beverly Hills. But I'm like, no, I don't have time for that. <laughs> you know? yes. Got to move on. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so let's segue now into, because I feel like the title of this episode is going to be something like the next step or the next stage after intuitive eating, because I do want to make it clear. I know I have a lot of listeners who are in restrictive eating disorders. This Mm. is the eating disorder might latch onto this and be like, oh, yay, you know, the profession. No, I can see you, not you, the eating disorder. This is not for you unless you have been intuitive eating for at least six months and have a, a good, you know, um, relationship with your body. So just to yeah, make- Agree, clear. agree. Yeah, the ED is going to want to latch on very yes. quickly. And it's like, no, you don't get to skip the steps, yes. right? You don't get to, that's not the way it works. Yeah, it's not yeah. The way it works. Yeah. So I would like to segue into because obviously intuitive eating and the work that we do is there's a lot of body acceptance. Of, of course, yeah. it has to come hand in hand because otherwise yeah. you don't get to the root problem of said dieting in the first place. And so talking about body acceptance, let's say that this episode is based around people who have intuitive eating kind of understood body acceptance. They're kind of there. The next stage for that, which is what I would love to go into now, is how does beauty culture come into this because I'm wearing makeup today and I tend to most days and then someone asked me one time are you not playing into beauty culture then and I'm like probably so how does that work in terms of this space of radical acceptance and wanting to like the way you look without again falling back into worthiness equals liking the way my body looks Well, that is like been a question since the beginning of all of this work, right? Like it's always like, just start to enjoy the way you look outside of current beauty ideals and body ideals. How do you even do that when beauty and body ideals color everything that we see, you know? Mm -hmm. And, And for me, it's never been about trying to fully escape beauty and body ideals. It's been about noticing where they're very limited and trying to increase my flexibility in where I see and find beauty. Right. So um, instead of being like thin is best, doesn't matter. It's nothing. It's like, no, thin. I I can see why I have this attraction or this um, interest in thin bodies because it's been so uh deeply repeated and the story has been told a million times to me about what it means to be in this body but I'm also going to start to actually seek out beauty in different forms and different kinds of bodies and different stories so I think the first thing is just like broadening our definition of beauty so we actually have some choices like if you're only seeing one thing you know, but still, you you know, the thing that I talked about in the, in the podcast um, that you were mentioning is um, this idea that my belief, there's some people who really like the idea of body neutrality or like just forgetting about their body. They want to just neutralize it. They think that we should just like, it's like not a thing, mm. just neutralize it, never think about it. And for them, that's healing. Yes. And that's great. Again, fabulous. I'm happy for everybody to figure out where they, they, what's best for them. But in working with many people, what I have found is that for a lot of the women I work 
with, that's actually just an iteration of healing. Mm. And then just like with this healthy-ish, there is this point where they want to return a little bit to enjoying their body and the way that it looks on some level. Yeah. And yeah. And I think like, so what I talked about in that podcast is the fact that one of my belief systems is that beauty will always be important to certain humans on some level. Like it's why we engage with art and music and we love beautiful spaces and homes and architecture. And like, that's all beauty, you know, like, again, the problem with the way that it's been put on humans is how restrictive it's been. But if we take away the restrictiveness of what defines beauty, if we again, just like going back to the food stuff, if we just start to, to slowly detach worth and value, yes, then there's this room for playfulness again and mm-hmm. choice. Um, do I think that our current beauty ideals still play into it? Of course I do. You know, like we, you know, we're still interested in like, we're swayed or not interested, but we are swayed by fashion trends. We're swayed by, um, but it's, it's, like developing that space so that you can have the fortitude to stay on your own path versus being too deeply um, invested in other, what other people are doing to the point where you harm yourself. Like to me, that's the difference, you know, Um, Naomi Wolf wrote about it in the beauty myth. She talks about like this, you know, is there a woman centered definition of beauty? And that's exactly what she talks about. She talks about when beauty, when how we look isn't the sum total of our worth and value. It stops being a war or a mission Mm. to be something in the world. And it starts just being a playful part of expressing who we are. Yes. I love that. Our style, our, how we do our, if you wear a beauty uniform or a, a clothing uniform, I have a friend who wears the same has a million pairs of the same white t-shirt and jeans. And that's like who she is, you know, like, and, I, and then I have other friends that are like colorful and, and always have to have a rotating cast of clothing in their, in their closet. And then everything in between, it becomes this fun way to express our personality and to sink deeper into who we are and to play. And beauty can be, you know, what Naomi Wolf writes in that book is like, beauty could be red lipstick and high heels, or it can be overalls and combat boots. Like it could be whatever is beautiful to you. Yeah. And I also feel that when you are in that space where you're able to play with makeup and clothes because you've detached your worth and value from looking a certain way, it then gets exciting, like you said. And it also, oh my God, lost train of thought. That was epic, Victoria. Now you've lost it. Don't know where I was getting that, but I can there's something else I wanted to say anyway. Um it I think it comes down to, let's say this was perhaps where I was going, when that's detached from your worth and value, you're then able to go to the shop without any makeup on, with your hair in a bun and not care. And at the same time, like today, I have a beautiful red dress on because I love red. I've done my makeup more today because I've got quite a lot of calls today. Oh yeah, here it was. You can step into the energy of how you feel when you dress yourself a certain way so I would have a different energy within myself now if I was sat here in pajamas with no makeup on and my hair like on top of my head I'd be the same person but I would show up differently in a different energy so I think when we are able to play with makeup and hair and clothes we can use it to create the energy 
we want to bring into the world. So sometimes if you don't want to be seen or you, you know, you don't want to have that queen strong energy, I will choose something like, you know, baggy jeans and a plain t-shirt just because especially if I'm on my period and I'm bleeding, I, I want to be in that kind of safe kind of feeling of like, please can people just like be at my space. So I think you're right. Bringing that playfulness back into it without attaching it to our worth and who we are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, like you said, um, you know, definitely, I think having to be in full makeup and full, you know, dress to do any, to do anything and everything, like even on vacation while you're at the beach, like that is for sure. Yeah. That's a sign of maybe like deep insecurity, but it's really also been interesting in the work that I've done that sometimes having zero interest in real rejection or rebellion and caring about those things at all mm. can also be a sign of, of um, deep insecurity or, or yeah. fear or hiding. And so it's, you know, if we think about that spectrum, it's like, how can we be in the middle? Like I love to get dressed up and go out. I'm also very comfortable to be, you know, I was with my family in PEI, like, which is an island off the coast of Canada. I don't know what people are when they're listening to this, but we spend weeks just going to the beach every day. I'm like, you know, no makeup, really no hair. My hair has been pulled back for weeks because I just got out of the lake. Like it, it, it's just like with food, finding this like ebb and flow and flexibility mm-hmm. to see ourselves as worthy and okay in many different states. And then being able to access the ones that we want in a given moment, you know, like to conjure that energy. I think it's really fun. I do too. And I think going into like body acceptance and I mean, I had to start with neutrality. I had to start with just like, okay, I have a body because I'd spent my whole entire life obsessing over my body. It was actually a breath of fresh air and extremely difficult to get to that place of complete body neutrality And then I naturally started to be like, well, I'm kind of ready to look in the mirror and actually like some parts of what I see without that being back into diet culture, but actually being able to appreciate the physical appearance of certain parts of my body without rejecting the parts of myself that I didn't or don't particularly like the look of and being okay with that. And so wearing clothes that accentuate the parts that I think look best not because I'm rejecting the parts I don't think look best, but just because it's fun and it feels high vibe energy for me to to be that in the world. And especially as a woman, to be connected to our sexuality and our sexual essence and our sexual vibe is important to me. And that just helps me show up in, I mean, you can see my pronouns, which is probably quite wrong of me. On Zoom, I have queen in brackets. (laughs) That's cute. Because I speak to my clients as queens, I call myself a queen because that's an energy, a vibe, and you know it just helps me show up in the world how I want to. So, how would you help someone who perhaps is ex- is in acceptance and they're a bit wary about showing up and playing with clothes and makeup because again they're worried about it triggering, looking at the way their body physically looks again. If they're worried that it might trigger desire for weight loss and all of that, how would you perhaps? start with the baby steps to navigate someone through that into where perhaps we both are now so it's not so different from the food work it's this experimentation it's baby stepping um I I don't know if I talked about this on the podcast I might have but I'll repeat it here like um 
I've talked about this for years, but Caitlin Moran, you know, a famous British uh, feminist who's written so many great books. Mm-hmm. In in one of her latest books, she talked about this idea of, um, it just really deeply resonated with me because I have girls that are teens. And she was talking about um, one of her daughters developed a pretty severe eating disorder that her, their family had to work their way through. But she talked about like, trying to teach her girls about that saying beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And we all know that saying, and it's kind of nice, you know, like, yeah, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. But you know, what I most see is that women believe that they're the object of beauty and they're constantly trying to like manipulate themselves and and mold themselves and turn themselves into a pretzel to like, yeah, be this thing that's highly subjective. That's always up for criticism by whomever happens to be looking on them, you know? Mm -hmm. And so what Caitlin wrote about in her book is like teaching her daughters, like your job in life is not to be the beauty. It's to be the beholder, like Mm -hmm. be the beholder, you know, like you get to decide what's beautiful. And she's like, you know, in her teenager's room. And she's like, it's so clear because they've got posters on the wall and they've got photos. And it's like, you get a real vibe when you walk into a teen's room of how they see the world and what's beautiful to them, what's yeah. cool to them. And so I kind of start that exercise with people. We'll start it with Pinterest boards or collages, like not just about clothes, but like, what is beautiful to you? Like mm-hmm. what, what do you want more of in your life? What? And then slowly, you know, working toward finding their styles. Sometimes I refer them even to work with a stylist to help mm-hmm. them figure that out. But thinking about it in that greater picture, I think is really interesting at first and like seeing what their Pinterest board looks like and what are the outfits. And, you know, one of the things that's been really fun for me is just to start wearing the outfits that I really like, regardless if my body's quote unquote, correct for it or not. Yes. Like I like some of the fashion trends. I just wear them now, you know, and I'll occasionally look in the mirror and be like, oh, that's interesting. Like, I don't, you know, like it doesn't match up with like what I had in my mind and that's okay. Cause I'm just like learning to see trends on different bodies. And that's yeah. another thing. It's not right for everyone. Not everyone can do it um, depending on where they're at in the healing process. But I really like when I'm struggling in my body or worried to try to hold that energy for other women. Like if I wear this outfit and then I go to dinner tonight with a group of friends Like I'm showing the group of friends, I'm showing every woman that sees me going into that restaurant or at that restaurant, another version of what this trend looks like on a different body. We need that. Like what we desire is deeply subjective and deeply affected by what we see over and over and over again, you know, and I can be that example sometimes. Like I don't see my body everywhere, you know, so and, and, you know, I'm in a medium sized body. It's not the most radical thing in the world. You know what I mean? But at the same time, it's a thing, it's a thing. And it helps me conjure up the energy to sort of put that outfit on and just go out and enjoy it. Right. I love that. If, if you can't do it for me, do it for the we. Yeah. Because that's, that's easier helped. for many women. It was easier for me when I was going through eating disorder recovery I got to, a, and I, when I, especially when I started to want to help people in this realm as well, it was so much easier for me to dress, for example, wear the shorts because my legs used to be a problem area for me 
because I have cellulite you know wow I mean I'm a woman and I have cellulite in my legs god forbid human who knew (laughs) yeah (laughs) and so I would wear like you know there was that hashtag at one point where they got wear the damn shorts and I couldn't do it for me because I didn't like what I saw, but I could definitely do it for the other women out there who needed permission in a way, not that we need permission, but it's helpful to have quote permission from someone like myself or like you or anyone wearing something that they might resonate or they might think, oh, her body's similar to mine and she can wear that and she's confident in it. And like, she's not busting into flames because she's wore something that, beauty standards might perhaps disagree with and it gives them permission to do the same so that was really big for me too so women with children I sometimes suggest you know especially if they have daughters if you can't do it for you yet because this is all about you but if you can't get it do it for you yet that's fine think of your daughter like can you do it for her what would you want her to see how would you want her to show up for herself so that can be really helpful can't it to do it for somebody else not you long yeah and then one other thing I would add is like I I love that and I think um one of the iterations for me personally was also wearing things that like in that in that vein of like being the beholder and what's beautiful I realized that like fabrics really mattered to me feeling comfortable in clothing really mattered to me. And so I actually started with how I felt in clothes. And so for me, I very quickly started wearing, you know, tighter tank tops and short shorts in the summer because they're actually more comfortable on my body than wearing like, you know, for a while I was wearing like Bermuda shorts down to my knee and it covered more of my thighs, but I'm like, this is not comfortable for me, actually a stretchy, shorter short. And, and I just, chose how I felt in my clothes above looks that was definitely like my first iteration and then it slowly evolved into like and now I kind of like the way that those look and you know developing like sort of finding my style so for people who are visually struggling to find their style they could start by texturally finding their mm-hmm. style first yeah, yeah. I mean you'll be you'll you'll be led by your into your intuition to fabrics colors things like that yeah. and what really helped me was and I still do this to look at women my size or bigger on Instagram who are those fashion people who were like you know triangle different so I'd find I found yeah. a few people who have similar shapes to me similar height to me because I'm short similar build who wear different clothes and I'm like oh I love the way that accentuates that curve or actually I don't like that and again the biggest key here I think is to have separated your worthiness and value from the way you look. And I think that's really important. And then you're able to just play and have fun and all of that. So is there anything that I've not asked you, Gillian, that you would like to share around our conversation? No, I like, it's been such a good conversation. I really loved it. I like getting to talk about this because it is mm-hmm. a nuanced conversation. And so I just want to say like, thanks for having it because it's hard. Um, but yeah, I think it's important. I think it's a, it's an important part of the work. Yeah. Yeah. And it's okay to choose, quote, healthy, nourishing foods. It's okay to say no to the cake if it's not restriction. It's okay to actually look in the mirror and like the way your body looks. All of that is okay. And again, just to reiterate, anyone that's in an eating disorder, this is not for you. But if you have any questions and want to reach out to me and Gillian, then We'll be more than happy to help. But Jillian, can you share how you are currently working with clients so people can reach out if they want to work with you further? 
Yeah. So I am, um, I'm actually just, I don't know when this will go live, if it will go um, live soon. Very soon. I'm saying like three to four weeks max, it's going to be out. Yeah. So you can find me at Dr. Jillian Murphy MD on Instagram. And I'm actually going to be hosting this fall, a three week healthy ish reset, which is like, again, for people who are ready to start to dip their toe into like, what does it mean to put a little bit more intention and focus on my physical body and how it feels but we're going to be going through all of these lessons from like what does it look like to say no to something or to limit it and what are the caveats what would that what would be the things that we're looking for that might indicate that this is coming from the wrong place or it's mm -hmm. triggering something in you we're going to talk about what does it look like to be strategic about learning how to be flexible with our choices so not have to be a brick wall or a jellyfish <laughs> yeah. when it comes to decision-making around food. But what does it look like to be that like, you know, spinal column that has structure and flexibility. We're going to talk about urges and desires and what does it look like to make some decisions for longer term desires versus always short term desires, like very nuanced, but I think really beautiful conversations. We're going to talk about add-in strategies and movement and how that fits into all of it. So that's going to be really fun, I think. And like just an experiment and an exploration for people who want to, and it could be done at any time, you know, it could be done. I say, I joke, like it could be done. We all go through periods of like really big, stressful moments at work where like we totally ignore our bodies for like a month mm -hmm. because we're so stressed out or, or with family or, um, you know, you've been sick. I've totally have had women who are like, I've had a cold for three months and haven't been able to take care of myself. And I need to get, you know, I want to feel yeah. better quickly. Like, how can I do that? So we're exploring that. And then beyond that, I also create these beautiful, healthy ish blueprints for people where we look at this whole constellation of things that are affecting their overall well being, and sort of coaching sessions can be added to that where we help them work through like, what does it look like to sink into and to live this healthy-ish life that you're after. So there's sort of like really short term. And then there's this like bigger, longer term process that people can go through and they can find all of that on my website, which is still um, foodfreedombodylove.com. Okay. I'll obviously link everything below. And I want to say that um, I think it might've been a, over a year ago now, I actually had a blueprint call with Jillian. It was, it's still to this day, one of the best things I've ever done for my own journey. So don't underestimate what you can learn in what was it an hour 90 minutes yeah. or oh it's amazing yeah it's yeah. amazing and I think it's so crucial Julian that you're invite bringing this into the world because you have a deep understanding of eating disorder and that is crucial if you ask me and I'm not slating anyone here but those that haven't experienced or don't have knowledge around eating disorders that are trying to bring you know, healthy eating and all of that into this world, it can be very dangerous very quickly if they don't understand what to look out for and the red flags. And of course you do because you- Or if they're, if, yeah. And if they're often in it themselves still a yes. little bit, which is very common, we know. Yeah, agree, yeah. agree. Yeah, and that's still part of my day-to-day. -day. Like I still, um, I do several hours, like three, like half days a week in, in like major eating disorder work. So it's still always top of mind. You're right. And it's important. Yeah. Thank you, Gillian. You've been incredible as always. I really appreciate you coming on and um, listeners, I will see you next week. Lots of love. Thank you. Thanks for having me. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, please share, subscribe and leave me a five star review. Your support means the absolute world to me and it really does help me to get my podcast out there for those that need it. Thank you.